Hello, this is your host, Cheryl C. Jones, with a warning. This podcast contains true stories of individual genius that may inspire you to take action in your own life. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to Getting Simply the Best Results podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones. I'm an author, a speaker, a podcast host, and let's see, I'm also a results coach. I work with small businesses and individuals to help them get past their financial and growth plateaus so they can achieve big results. Today, I have a very special guest and a dear friend, Matthew Pollard. Let me share a little bit about him with you. So Matthew is responsible for five multi-million dollar business success stories in his home country of Australia, all before the age of 30. His humble beginnings, the adversaries he met along the way, and his epic rise to success are inspirational stories of how, how anyone with the right motivation and the right strategies can achieve anything they put their mind to. Today, his he's a best-selling author whose book, The Introvert's Edge, has received endorsements from Harvard, Princeton, Neil Patel, Marshall Goldsmith, just to name a few. He's been featured by Fox, NBC, Fortune, Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, and CEO. And if that wasn't enough, he's the founder of Small Business Festival, which Inc. has named a top three national conference for small businesses. I've asked Matthew to join us today to talk about his genius and what it's taken to get him to where he is today. Please help me welcome Matthew Pollard, the man that Forbes calls the real deal, the rapid growth guy himself. Welcome, Matthew. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. It's always good to see you and always good to talk to you. So I'm just thrilled that you've agreed to do this today. I appreciate it. Of course. So, um, you know, I know a little bit about your backstory, but everyone else doesn't. And so I want to know a little bit about your upbringing. I know you live here in the United States now and you're from Australia, either that or you've purchased that lovely accent. I'm just kidding. Gosh, uh, if it was available for sale, I think it would go for a premium, wouldn't it? I'm pretty sure it would. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about yourself and your history and, and kind of a little bit more about those businesses that you're involved with that all before 30. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, my background, I mean, it, I really shouldn't have got to where I got to. Uh, especially that quickly. Um, it was a little bit of luck and a lot of hustle more than anything. And luck actually came across as looking pretty unlucky until it ended up, you know, the, there's this, you know, if you look back on the events that happened, mm -hmm. it was incredibly lucky, but leading forward into them, I was having a pretty tough time. So the, the interesting thing, I mean, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school. I mean, I had horrible acne. I mean, I, there's a, a point that I talk about in my book where a basketball hit me in the face and broke one of my pimples and how embarrassing that was for me. And it's just, my, that was my childhood life. Like I was shy. I struggled to talk to my own friends, let alone anyone else. Luckily enough, I got diagnosed with this thing called Erlen syndrome when I was in late high school. And basically what it means is I put on a pair of glasses like this and they've got, you know, funny colored lenses, which of course didn't add to the, the whole non-teasing thing, right? But um, what it did mean is I could start the process of learning to read. And because of that, I mean, two years of hustle to get through school, I got into the top 20% of my state, but I mean, I was exhausted. I mean, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And my family could tell, A, that 
you know, the, the, the tank was empty. And B, if I had have gone into university not knowing what I wanted to do, I didn't know why I'd done the last two years doing it again. I would, I would have just spun out. So, I mean, given how much motivation I have for the things that I do today, right. But it's all about what I know I want to achieve. And I just, I wasn't there. So we all agreed that I was just going to take a job at a, at a real estate agency. And I, no, I wasn't the guy out selling. I was the guy in the back office doing data entry, but it, you know, my, my whole like existence was let's just spend a year spinning my wheels. I mean, my family wasn't well off, so I couldn't exactly sit on the couch and watch Oprah or, you know, go traveling through Europe. I had to get a job, but that job, you know, fastly came to an end. I mean, three weeks into my job, my boss, you know, let me know that their office was closing down Oh, and I'm, you know, I'm out of work. And in Australia, I mean, we closed down for, you know, nearly a month over Christmas. So no one's hiring. It's our summer break and Christmas break at the same time. And, you know, my, the, the story really became, I mean, I took a job at a commission only sales job. It was the only job I could get before Christmas. And, you know, it was 93 doors before my first sale, but I went and taught myself how to sell watching YouTube videos. And, you know, very shortly after that, I think this is important for a lot of people listening because a lot of people think that when they hit adversity, especially if they have something like introversion, which I mean, everybody knows if you don't have the gift of the gap, you just can't, can't achieve sales success, right? right? And what happens is we have that hustle mentality. We're just going to push through this hardship or we, we run away, right? We avoid it. And so I, a lot of people, I mean, I was in a training group of 20 and I think 18 of them quit within two days. And so I was still there, but my teammate was hustling to just, I'll go and see more doors. I was rushing home after eight hours of selling to go and spend eight hours watching YouTube videos and practicing. Six weeks later, my boss pulls me into his office and he said, Matt, we're a little bit blown away by this. Remember, I was the quiet guy. So I handed in my paperwork downstairs and then I would go in to see all the boisterous salespeople talking about how hard it was getting in the market. Mm. Turns out I was the number one salesperson in the company. Oh. I just, I got, got it down to the fact that I was closing a sale on average on every three doors. And it was a regimented process. I mean, to me, the variability and inconsistency, I was able to systemize out. And because of that, I became a rapid success. They gave me a team. And of course, just because you get given, uh, you're good at sales doesn't mean you can manage, right? So I lost my, I had a team of 20 of my own and they all quit. Not, no, 18, all of them quit within like a day and a half. And it was just, I was terrible at it. So back to YouTube, learn to manage and, you know, I promoted seven times within 12 months. And then I went and started my own business, which was a telecommunications company. I mean, it was all I knew. And, you know, less than a year later, it was, you know, turning over a million dollars a year. And a couple of years later, we got an award. I, I won the Young Achiever Award in Melbourne as the, because um, we founded the largest brokership uh, in the country for business to business cell phones. And, you know, five, you know, fast forward a decade and I've been responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories. Wow. Amazing. Absolutely amazing that you've gone from this introvert, you know, self-contained person to being able to, to sell something every three doors. I mean, that's amazing. So my immediate thought, because we've all heard um, it's all about the numbers. Is it all about the numbers? No, not at all. <laughs> so firstly, you know, we were just talking beforehand that I, I just started, I just finished my second book mm -hmm. and I talk about networking in the second one. So the first one talks about sales. The second one talks about networking. And in both books, I say the same thing, but it's even more obvious, I think, in the world of networking that 
the world of networking really has two groups of people, right? You have the transactional networkers that literally will walk from person to person in the room. And to me, it's terrible to see it. Like it feels like speed dating. Like, are you interested in me? No. Are you interested in me? No. Terrible. And then you get these other people that are determined not to be like that, but they don't really go in with a plan. So they're just aimless. They end up talking to their friends or talking to one person and they walk out going, no one has any money to hire me. I was talking to the wrong people. I just wasn't lucky today, right? And that's why I see salespeople do the same thing. I wasn't lucky today. I wasn't lucky today. What do you mean luck? Like, I believe that you can create your own luck. And I believe that because preparation to me is the key to luck. Like, if you prepare well and you systemize, your chances of being lucky are higher, because you are able to do more with what you're given and your focus is laser sharp. So for me, when you look at the numbers game, absolutely. One day it was 93 doors. And if I had have just let that continue, I probably would have got one, you know, I would have got marginally better maybe. So it would be 85 doors and then 76 doors and then oh, back to 85 and then 73. And oh, today I was lucky. I got one on my first door and then tomorrow back to 105, right? So- right. That is the same as what I consider transactional networking, right? Gotcha. Now, the, obviously, the aimless version of, in the sales world is they just quit, right? Because it's not going to work, right? But if you have a structured system and process, then you increase the chances of the success in every door, right? So, I mean, I didn't get down to three doors straight away. I mean, it was 93, then it was 78, then it was 46, and then it was 27, and then it was you know, 21. And then I tried something and it didn't work. And I was back to 31. And then I made, and then I was like, okay. And then I got it down to 18 and then nine and then, you know, eight and then mm-hmm. three, right. That was the average. And when I, I'm saying average, because, you know, you can't, obviously there's a little bit of luck in who you speak to involved. Certainly. However, that when you're speaking to six or seven people, you can waste all of your time talking to a non-decision maker because you don't know how to qualify a person. Mm -hmm. You can spend all of your time arguing with a client about why they should hire you or going and having a coffee and crying a little because they didn't see your worth when you should have just told a story and that would have changed everything. So the reason why I don't believe in this concept of the numbers game, I mean, yes, do you have to pick up the phone and call people. Yes, if you're a cold caller, you have to walk door to door. And yes, if you're a business owner and you're not networking or trying to find customers in any way, shape or form, it doesn't matter how great your system is. If your head's in the sand, you're not going to get customers. However, I would prefer to do more in one networking event than I would in the next 20 by having a great system because then I don't have to go to the other 19, Mm. right? So the goal for me is to really reduce the heavy lifting with what comes with that numbers game hustle, right? Mm -hmm. And I think these days, especially, there's a lot you can do to remove that heavy lifting in both messaging, structured process, and also automation to do the follow-up for you in a lot of ways. But if you do all of that, then all of a sudden it becomes, in a lot of ways, fun. I mean, I love doing what I do. I enjoy, I mean, right right now, I mean, I'm an introvert. So at the end of this, I'm still going to be tired, but it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it. And if, if people are listening and they feel like, I, I believe, or at least I hope most people think I'm quite well, artic- you know, I'm articulating myself correctly. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because while you and I had a conversation, I said, you know, ask me any question you want because you really can't catch me out anymore. My first interview, gosh, I had all the questions they were going to ask me. I practiced my answers, <laughs> but I've done over a hundred of these now, right? So there's really not much you can ask me that will catch me out. 
and something that I don't have a prepared answer for. Because even though the question you ask is slightly different, I'll say, okay, well, here is a story or something that I feel like is similar to that. Let me start explaining that. And then what I'll do is I'll tailor that to your unique question and then hammer it home with a moral. As an introvert, that takes the pressure off. Now, most, I mean, podcast interviews, funnily enough, I see, I see people do the same thing on these. They're so transactional and salesy. So they're like, can I talk about my products? Can I talk about my products now? When do I get to mention my products? And that doesn't work either. Mm-mm. But then they'll say, oh, you know, Matt said, oh, I heard Matt on a podcast and he said, do podcast interviews. It's a great way to find clients. And it is. But only if you act completely disinterested in that and give great value and tell great stories and then somebody be like, you know what, I like that person. The problem is people go on and all you hear is I, 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 can you buy from me now? And that is not the way to do it. So as an introvert, especially who hates to self-celebrate in a lot of ways, and you know, while we should do that more, it's not our nature to do that. Right. We need to realize that if we just take a step back and say, okay, this is something that makes me uncomfortable. And how is it that I can go about systemizing this, processing, you know, putting it in a process, a series of steps that will add consistency to something that feels unpredictable. And if you can, I mean, if you can script a sale that has so much psychology and steps, I mean, you can kill it networking doing that. And, you know, podcast interviews is even easier in a lot of ways because at least you're talking about your topic matter. So the whole framing that I want people to have is understand there is a system. I mean, I got, I got interviewed by the uh, Chicago Tribune about how to prepare for Christmas and, you know, with the work Christmas parties. And I have regimented systems for that. I mean, if you Google my name with the Chicago Tribune and you've got a big office party to go to or you're trying to prepare for Christmas time and you're a little bit worried about going to all those office parties or even family occasions because it drains you, Google that article. I mean, again, I systemize and, you know, work through a series of steps even when I'm doing social occasions like that. That's kind of cool, actually. I mean, and <clears throat> like you said, it, re- it reduces anxiety and worries, you know, kind of thing. I wanted to back up and ask you about the story process because, um, you know, I, I know that I've heard a number of your stories in the past and because I know you and I've heard you speak and so forth. And, um, how, you know, in a, that kind of networking or social situation, um, are you like, sitting down one weekend and going, okay, what are all of my stories and writing them out and trying to, you know, simplify them down to, you know, 75 words or hundred words or whatever. What, what is your, what is your, if you will share with us, what is your process for building your stories? Because I mean, I have lots of stories, but half the time I forget them. I, I end up, I'm, I'm in that networking situation that you, you know, described and I'm standing there and all of a sudden I'm like, mesmerized at what their story what they're talking about and I'm like and they go and what do you do and I'm like I don't know (laughs) I forgot what's my story you know or what you know so how do you um tell me about how you make that work sure so I mean the first thing to help people understand why I mean use the word mesmerized and I think that's a really good word for what a story does Mm -hmm. and there's some real science behind that so firstly our our there is a lot of brain chemistry that changes when a story is told, right? So firstly, it short circuits the logical mind and you speak directly to the emotional mind. Now, if you don't know what the real difference is, the logical mind is the part of the brain going, that won't work for me. I'm not sure if that's going to fit. Do I have time for this? Hang up or, you know, I've got other people to talk to. 
The emotional mind doesn't do anything but listen to a story. It literally short circuits the logical brain and goes, story time, and it just listens. Like that's just the way the brain functions. Now, when you hear a story, you don't listen to any of the logical fact and, and question any of it. You just listen to it for the moral and see if it applies to you. So if the story is about somebody that you worked with, just like the person you're speaking to mm-hmm. and how you worked with them and how you got them to a great result, then that person's going, oh my gosh, I need what that person has. You know, I need what Wendy has. I need what Jim has. I need what, you know, Whitney has. And because of that, they're going to be more inclined to hide, right? Because a story is not, and let's classify this. It is not a case study or an eyewitness CNN account of what happened, <laughs> right? It is, that is a one dimensional yuck story mm-hmm. and it won't engage people right now. You think about stories, the stories that we tell all the time. I mean, Everybody listening, if you've got a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, think about the story that you told when you, the first time you told the story of how you met your partner. Okay. It was bulky. It probably had some parts that bored people Mm -hmm. and it probably had some really exciting parts, but they could be better. Right. So you made it better. You removed the bulky parts and you said, maybe I won't tell that this time. And the other parts, you might've even embellished a little bit. But over time, it becomes this theatrical masterpiece, doesn't it? You know, like, I mean, I say this, my wife says that, we hold hands and we say this together, that's how we met. Mm -hmm. Now, in our personal lives, we say these really robust stories. In our business lives, it's like customer wanted this, so we gave it to them. (laughs) Horrible. horrible. And that's why they don't engage. And that's why a lot of people are like, no, no, I've told stories and people are always questioning my stuff. You didn't tell stories. You shot, you gave them a bullet point list of facts Mm. that had a chronology of what a story has. And that is not going to stimulate the, the, the neurons in your brain that it needs to create to to short circuit the logical brain. The second thing is when you tell a story, the parts of our brain that experience it, you know, can't tell the difference between whether it's really happening to us or not. So at the end of the story, we feel like we've developed rapport with someone. And because of that, because we feel like we've had a shared experience, this, see what happens is when we tell stories, this thing called neurocoupling happens. Our brains actually synchronize and we live through the story. And by the end of it, we believe that we've had that experience, or at least we've lived those feelings and those emotions. Sure. It's, it's, it's why when we're watching a horror film, we get scared for the person. Like we know it's happening in the movie, but we get scared, right? So all of those reasons are playing through when you tell a great story. And then the real powerful one is people remember 22 times more information when embedded into a story. Yeah. So because of that, you know, when you tell a great story, people will remember what you said as opposed to random facts. You know, an example you've seen me make on stage is I, you know, I'll ask somebody in the audience to remember three things at random. And I'll say, can you do me a favor? Can you remember? And I pretend I'm thinking and I say, chairs, porridge, and beds. And then I'll say, do you have those? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, all right, now I don't want you to write them down, but a year from now, I want you to tell me exactly what those items are. What do you think your chances are? Not a chance in the world especially the order, right? Right. But then I say, well, what about Goldilocks and the three bears? Could you tell me that story? Absolutely, right? She sat in some chairs, she ate some porridge, and she slept in some beds. You don't know all of the details, but you know the general gist. Why? Because it was embedded into a story. Like, you probably can't even tell me what you had for dinner four nights ago, but you can tell me what time, you know, Cinderella, you know, had you know, everything you, you oh, had to go. You know, yes. you know. So 
the the focal point for for me is stories work for a lot of scientific reasons however most people only focus and i think i actually have an example template here so if this is a video podcast people will actually be able to see it um if not um you know i can maybe we can i can give it to you you can put it on the show notes or something sure um but the framing of a great story really fits into four quadrants now the first one is the problem right that the person has now usually somebody says well they had this problem so then we gave them this that's not an explanation of the problem you have to and i always talk about problem from three specific quadrants right so you have real cost i.e what is it really costing me opportunity cost what am i missing out on because of this this specific problem right maybe i can't get promoted because i haven't had the right personal development maybe i'm missing out on referrals because my customers don't like some of my team members um you know maybe i'm not getting my bonuses or maybe i might get fired because of a technology overhaul that perhaps didn't go so well right now and then you've got the third one which is the emotional cost which is where all the money is right how do how am i feeling who hates me how do you know and how does that affect me and how do i feel about it um and the, those are the three quadrants for problem then you and and that is where i would always suggest you spend about you know 30 35% of your time now most people spend maybe seconds there then you talk about the implementation right so your implementation is you know explaining what you did but not saying i did this i did this i did this i did this you say from our very first session david realized right make it about them cuz networking sales everything business should never be about you when i speak from stage it's always about my audience not about me right and actually a good friend of both of ours tom singer the first time i delivered my presentation and i know this from sales i know this from networking it's funny how when we do something new we make different mistakes right i started talking about my personal story because i felt like i needed to tell people why i deserve to be there no like people can read that from your bio he said he said you know tell them about your other stuff and then humble yourself by telling you telling this story about yourself and your acne and things like that that transition meant that no one heard the word i forever and then the story was about their belief that it wouldn't be possible for them making them feel like they could and it was a wonderful piece of advice and you know between tom and jim coma who's another personal friend of ours probably is the reason why i'm one of the top 50 speakers in the world right now and the framing was because it just wasn't about me and that's the thing that i would suggest in the implementation make it about the person the hero of the journey right by the way that person should have a name right because you can't feel the problems of a company or a position but i can feel Cheryl's pain i can feel Matthew's pain right that you can feel it all so then you do the implementation i would only spend maybe 20% of your time talking about that and don't teach leave your fire hose of information at home just you know share the how the implementation was done for that specific person right leave the brochures away from the table right, right. then move into the you know the outcome right you know how did it affect them on a did with a real you know real cost saved right was the opportunity cost realized and how do they feel now right emotional elements mm-hmm. again 35% of your story there and then there's this thing called a moral of a story that everyone tells when you're watching you know when you're watching fables and things like that but for some reason in business we think everybody should just know well everybody has different perspectives they have different beliefs different values i mean what they get from what you have to say 
may be determined on the fight that they had with their wife in the morning or the breakfast that they had that didn't have the right flavored milk. So you can't assume that they just get it. So what I always suggest is that you explain the moral and you explain it and target it specifically to their unique problem concern that they highlighted that they had. So make it relevant to them. Now, by doing this and having prepared stories, you, you have this ability. And, you know I, know, I know you work with a lot of lawyers and gosh, they bulk things up. I work with a ton of lawyers and accountants and you sit down in the meeting for them. And at the end, you just want to say, okay, just do it because you're overwhelmed. Or you say, and how much is that going to cost me? Oh, that's more expensive than this one. I didn't understand either of you, so I'll just go with the cheaper one. So the moral really needs to be having a home to make it applicable to them. Now, once you have that story structure, all of a sudden stories make a real difference. You know, I worked, I, I worked with a big technology company, actually, and I can't, I've got an MBA, so I can't say right. the name, but it was a multi-billion dollar technology company. And I got told that I had to, I got asked if I could write a couple of stories for their organization. By the way, multi-billion dollar company, we wrote three stories, right? That's it. That's, all I worked with. that's, that's the thing, because when okay. you first start, you should focus on a really finite niche. And what I always say is pick a niche. Once you know that niche, then you work out what the three major problems, wants or needs that that niche has. Mm -hmm. And then once you do that, then it makes it super easy to say, okay, well, I need a story that covers each one of these problems, right? So it means all you need is three stories. And truthfully, I mean, I earn probably 70% of my income from just one. So, you know, don't get, don't get courageous. Just create one, learn it, and then, you know, learn to tell it well and use it in every sales conversation, every meeting, and you'd be blown away at the results. But when I was doing these interviews to, to write these three stories, I had five people, sorry, five people sit down with me for 45 minutes over a Zoom call. And I interrogated them, really interrogated them for the details of the story because every person knew something different about, you know, technology is complicated, right? And they made it really complicated. So for 45 minutes, I interrogated them on all the answers. And then I then told them back to them. I said, I just want to make sure I got this right. And I told them the story back in about 45 seconds. And they were like, how did you do that? In a, like, it was a really compelling version. It wasn't great, but it was much more compelling than what they told me. And I was like, through the exact framework that I just suggested to you, what you guys just learned on the podcast. But the thing was that I said, well, there's some pretty significant things missing. Firstly, what's the name of the person? Uh, and he's like, oh, oh, I don't know. I'm like, oh, it's David. Okay, well, that's important because, you know, the story was that they decided to go into, the, they, they moved their technology into the cloud. And I'm like, I mean, was he hoping to get promoted from this? Was he scared about it going wrong and him losing his job? Like what happened? By the way, that brings me to my second question. Why did he want to move into the cloud? I mean, he'd been trying, he'd been considering doing this. You've been targeting for, for, for over a year, it sounds. Why did he want to go to the cloud? Well, it turns out the server of their government organization crashed just before Christmas. Oh. And they couldn't run payroll during the biggest spending season of the year, he was the guy that ruined Christmas for the entire organization, like the higher, the whole government, because none of them, I mean, yeah, sure, they could use credit cards and stuff, but yeah. the, 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 but truthfully, they some people had rent to pay and couldn't pay it, right? Because you've got to pay for that stuff in cash, right? Which means they would use their credit card allowance to buy presents. Sorry, that they were going to use to buy presents to pay for rent, right? Mm -hmm. They were, you know, a lot of people live hand to mouth. And, 
you know, he, he also had to bring his entire staff in over the Christmas period to do that. And he was the guy that you know, was doing that. His family had to live with the fact that he may lose his job after all of this. Can you imagine feeling responsible and worried about not having a job after Christmas? And what job are you going to get when you're not going to get a reference from the guy that ruined, you know, because they ruined, he ruined Christmas, right? So I said, how are these parts of the story not in there? You know, you've got to, to create a robust story. The problem that he had was not that he wanted to go into the cloud or his want or need. It was that he was the guy that ruined Christmas and he wanted to make sure he was never going to be put back in that situation again. And now he sleeps easy at night knowing that that problem won't reoccur. He was actually, you know, celebrated by his boss for his way he handled the situation and then migrated it so that they don't have that risk anymore. And, you know, now, you know, he's looking like getting a promotion as opposed to getting fired. So what's the moral of the story? If it ain't broke, don't fix it is not the psychology that you want to have with your technology, right? So the concept of a story, how much did I actually talk about, about the, the technology, by the way? Uh, not at all. Not at all. I, he went to the cloud. That's all we learned. The cloud, that was it, right. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's all I wanted you to know. Mm-hmm. Because who cares whether it's a good cloud or a bad cloud? Who can, I don't even really need to know what a cloud is. I just need to know cloud is safer than no cloud. That's all I need to know, <laughs> right? So the concept is, right, and yes, we did embellish a little bit on how easy he found the transfer process and how it was seamless and, you know, next week it was all resolved or whatever. But the concept is if you can build that framework. I mean, I had one girl who told this amazing story of this girl that was at the gym and was really struggling to, to lose weight, so she quit the gym. And, you know, she, so this salesperson called her back and convinced her to do a training plan. And then, so she came back and she lost her desired weight. I said, oh, terrific. Firstly, what was the person's name? Secondly, why was she trying to lose weight in the first place? Turns out she was trying to get pregnant and she couldn't get pregnant because she was overweight. So she went going to the gym and then failing. I'm like, do you think she felt like she was failing her whole family? Yeah. Absolutely, she did. I said, did she get pregnant after she lost the weight? She did. How are her parents feeling about that? Mm. Yet none of this was part of the story. Mm. This is what I mean. If you can create these robust stories, everything shifts. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. And I was totally mesmerized (laughs) again. (laughs) Well, if if you can teach somebody something so complex well, the story's not really complex, but there are four steps. And psychology tells us that most people can only remember three things, right? If you tell them off the cuff. And even then, not, not a year later, like we proved with porridge chairs, well, chairs, porridge and beds, right? So I just gave you four steps, but because I framed them inside a story to help elucidate them, by doing that, all of a sudden, you'll actually remember it a lot more. And, you know, what happens is people sit down at a networking event and say, oh, yeah, but I couldn't tell a three-minute story. That's not true. I've worked with commercial real estate agents that couldn't keep a C-level executive on the phone for more than eight seconds before hanging up. Now they say they get an objection. They transfer into, I perfectly understand. The last thing I want to do is waste any of your time. However, which is called an objection handling cushion, i.e., you know, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't want to waste your time. I get that you're busy. However, not the word, but for the husbands at home, go home and say, dear, you look beautiful in that dress, but, and see what happens. Trust me. The word, however, is very different. It's an additional term. It doesn't mean everything I said before that I didn't mean. And then they tell a story 
And they were keeping C-level executives on the phone for two, two and a half minutes sometimes. I mean, they, their business went from $2 million to $3 million in two months. And they were a $10 million company by the end of, well, within 12 months through just telling stories as opposed to pitching on the phone. Amazing. And that's a cold call. I mean, imagine applying it to a, a consultation where somebody booked a meeting with you to yep. talk about your services. Exactly. And, and there's so many people that need to have that kind, build that kind of response or uh, connection and rapport with people by having that one-on-one -on -one conversation. This is fabulous. So I want to take a, um, you know, you've shared so much information with us and I would love to have you back. Um, and if you would be so willing, I want to talk more. There's so much more that I want to ask you about. So do you think you'd agree to that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love that. All right. So, um, so just want to thank all of our podcast listeners for, for joining us today, because this is the, just such a, a terrific um, conversation in terms of the information that we're learning and that Matt Schelling is sharing with us today. Um, I want to make sure that before we go that I thank Matthew for being here, first of all. Thank you, Matthew. And, well. and I want to know what's the title of the new book, because I need to go out and buy it. <laughs> well, it's actually called The Introvert's Edge, the same title as the first book. So it's, it's going to be a series of books. Oh, awesome. So, you know, luckily enough, I mean, the first book, uh, it was listed by uh, Book Authority as the number two book ever written for introverts. And uh, Sales Hacker has listed as one of the top books ever written in sales. HubSpot has as well. So it's just done really, really well. But the goal for me is to really open the minds of introverts to believe that they can. You know, they're not second-class citizens. They can achieve amazing things. They just need to understand that what they need is a system. By the way, extroverts have their own disadvantages. Some might say that they're not the best listeners. We need a system, but then we've got these amazing powers of listening and empathy. So, you know, the, the, first, the next book is just called The Introvert's Edge to Networking. It'll actually be out in, in January of 2021. Publishing takes a long time. Uh, so it, it just takes a long time. But for those other people that are, that are listening, I mean, you know, lawyers need to sell every day. You know, anybody in business needs to sell every day. You know, one of the things, my publisher hates me when I say this, but you don't need to buy my book. If you go to the, if you go to the .com, you can download the first chapter. And in the first chapter, it actually outlines the first seven steps of the sales process. If you do nothing more than grab what you currently say and put it in under those seven chapter headings, first thing will happen is you'll realize there's a whole bunch of things that you say that don't fit. Throw those out. You shouldn't be saying them to customers. Then you'll realize there's some gaping holes in asking great questions and telling amazing stories. And you know, not the stories you currently tell, but really amazing ones. And then you'll realize that some of the stuff that you that don't fit is the thing where you feel like you need to educate the customer well. They don't need to be educated. They just need to know you work with someone like them that had a similar requirement and that you gave them an amazing result. So if you do nothing more than fill out those seven you know, steps in your process and, and actually use those out in the real world with customers, I mean, you'll double your sales in 60 days. Awesome. And I've read The Introvert's Edge and I love it. Uh, I, I, I read it and, and I'm normally a paper person, but I read it on Kindle and it was like, oh, I want to highlight that. <laughs> so I did not get my highlighter out, but I did highlight on Kindle, but um, I really enjoyed it. So I can recommend that one highly. I can't wait to see what the next one has to say. So in closing this segment, and we're going to have Matthew back. So hang in there. Um, and we've got more to talk about, but I want to thank you all for joining us today and please do us a favor, subscribe, hit the subscribe button, give us all five stars, comment, tell us how we're doing. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, thanks for joining us. I'm Cheryl Jones, your host of Getting Simply the Best Results podcast.
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. To connect with me, Cheryl C. Jones, you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook by my name. Don't forget that Cheryl is spelled with a C-H and be sure to include my middle initial, the letter C. You're welcome to email me at Cheryl at simplythebestresults.com or visit my website of www.simplythebestresults.com for more information and inspiration. This has been a GSTBR production created and hosted by me, Cheryl C. Jones, edited by Brandy Hockaday and produced by Kathy Holscher. New episodes are available each Thursday on Apple, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google, and many other podcast directories. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.